0: Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can come together this morning and spend some time together with you, studying your word. And Father, as we sit here together as a church family, it is for one purpose, and that is to be blessed by you. And so, Father, we invite your presence to be here. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Krishna was a practicing Hindu. He had little to no use for Christianity. As you know, Hindus have many gods that they worship, and what was another one to him? However, his brother had converted to Christianity, and Krishna wanted to go visit his brother and his family. And so he got on a bus, and he took the long trip to go and see his brother, his nieces and nephews, and his sister-in-law. And as they visited together, they had a great time spending time together, and Krishna's brother was a good Christian, he would gather his family together every morning, and they would have family worship, and he invited his brother to enter into that time of worship, and because it was family, he didn't want to offend his brother, so Krishna joined them for family worship every morning during his visit. The end of his visit came, and it was time for him to get back on that bus and go on that long trip back home. And the rest of the family went to the bus station with him to see him off. There was a crowd of people there, a family that came to say goodbye to Krishna. Just before he stepped on the bus to head back home, his 10-year-old niece slipped her hand in her uncle's hand, and she said, Uncle Krishna, I want to pray for you. Didn't want to offend his little niece. So he said, okay. And her prayer went something like this. Dear Lord, in the name of Jesus, please keep my uncle Krishna safe. Amen. Krishna didn't think too much about the prayer. He said goodbye, jumped on the bus, and headed home. The trip back home, took him through some of the mountainous regions in the area where he lived, they would go over these high mountain passes on their way home. And while they were traveling back, Krishna bumping along in the road in the back of the bus, all of a sudden he heard this sound of horns blaring, brakes screeching, and then before he knew it, the bus went off the side of the cliff. It began to tumble end over end as it went down the side of that cliff. Bags and people were flying everywhere inside of the bus. People were screaming. It was absolute chaos. And with an explosive force, the bus landed at the bottom of the valley and everything went silent. Krishna looked around at the mangled mess all around him not a single person was alive yet there he lay breathing and as he lay there in that mess of humanity he almost heard it was almost like he heard an audible voice the voice of his 10-year-old niece dear lord in the name of jesus Please keep my uncle Krishna safe. As he laid there in that mess, he said, who is this Jesus that my niece and my brother pray to? I think in eternity, we'll find out the impact of that little prayer by that 10-year-old girl. But prayer is pretty powerful stuff, wouldn't you say? I'm reminded of a passage, the first time I read this text, it thrilled my heart. I can still remember that time I read it. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. It's an easy one to remember. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee what? Great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God is, it's almost like God is inviting us. Call unto me. I will answer you. I will not turn a deaf ear to your prayers. Now, that's of course understanding what we studied last time we were together, where we clear the airways so that we can have communion together with God, removing our selfishness, asking for forgiveness, being being willing to forgive others. Once we've removed those roadblocks and those obstacles, the Bible tells us that God will answer, He will hear the prayers. Of those, prayer, of, those, of, of those of his children. He wants to answer them, and he wants to show us great things that we know nothing of. Many times I have prayed this prayer in my prayer time. Lord, show me great and mighty things from your word in my time together with you this morning. Ministry of Healing, page 509, says this. We do not value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should. Prayer and faith will do what no power on earth can accomplish. Did you catch that? What is it? Prayer and what? Faith will do what no power on this earth can accomplish. This is something that we need to be exercising more in our spiritual journey. We're continuing our series on prayer. Teach us to pray is what the disciples asked Jesus, And we ought to be praying the same thing and asking that same request of Jesus. Lord, teach us how to pray. There is great power that is invested in that prayer closet together with God each morning. Uh, Ellen White goes on and she says this. In the book Great Controversy, page 220, 525, she says, It is a part of God's plan. To grant to us, in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask? Did you catch that? She's basically saying, listen, that when we ask, God will give us those things that we ask for, if it's according to his will. But if we had not asked for those things, he would not have bestowed them upon us. You see, God is like any good father. He knows the needs of his children. Any parent knows the needs of their children before, oftentimes before, the children even know that need. And God knows the needs of his children, but he wants us to ask. And as we ask, he will bestow upon us the requests that we make. Has he not invited us? Ask, and it shall be what? When does, what, what, what has to happen before the giving takes place? There needs to be the what? they're asking. There needs to be something that goes up. The request that goes up opens up God's ability to answer and give what is being besought. He goes on. He also says in uh, James chapter 4 and verse 2, you have not because you what? Because you ask not. Now, I don't think I'm alone in this one where we uh, sometimes neglect the prayer closet. Where we don't spend as much time with God as we know we ought. We hastily move through our day. We say a quick, hasty prayer before we shoot off into the day. And then we have that, uh, that, that moment of prayer in the evening, if we're lucky, before we go to bed. But there's great power in that prayer chamber together with God. And this morning, I want to share with you just two quick blessings in our time together. There are two blessings. There are many blessings, many, many, many blessings that come from prayer. I don't, you know, we can't, we can't give you an exhaust, exhaustive list of this, but there are two things that I want to share with you this morning, one that blesses you and one that blesses other people when we engage in this beautiful gift that God has given to us as his children, the ability to communicate with God. To begin with, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51. The first thing I would like to propose to you that comes as a blessing from prayer is that prayer lifts our burdens. Would you say amen to that? How many of you have had burdens? How many of you had burdens this past week? Now, don't answer this one, but how many of you came in this morning with burdens? You know, sometimes we have more in common with Christian from Pilgrim's Progress than we ought. Do you remember the story of Pilgrim's Progress? How many of you read that story? Great story, great narrative of the Christian experience of how uh, we make the journey from this world into the celestial city or the kingdom of heaven. And the story goes that there's this man, Christian, who's leaving the city of destruction behind on a journey towards the celestial city. And it's a great allegory of the Christian experience. But as you see, as Christian starts out this journey in Pilgrim's Progress, he has this great burden that he's carrying on his back, and that burden is hindering him from moving forward in a quick fashion. And it wasn't until he met Jesus at the foot of the cross that that burden was able to be, able, was able to be removed from his back. But we have burdens that we bear. We have burdens of the guilt of sin. We have burdens of uh, inferiority. We have many types of burdens that we carry around. And prayer is something that God has given to us to help lift those burdens that the devil wants to keep us subjected to. In fact, notice this great promise here in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says, casting all your care upon him For he what? Somebody ought to say amen to that. Casting, how much of your care? Does God want you to carry around any of your cares? He has invited you to cast them upon him. If you choose to carry your burdens, it's not his fault. Because he said, cast them on me. I'll take it for you. You don't have to carry those burdens around. And the concept of casting our burdens, it literally means to throw upon, to place upon, to take that burden and to put it on his shoulders and say, you asked for it, I'm giving it to you. In fact, Jesus tells us that when we cast our burdens upon him, he says, come unto me, all you that are labor and are heavy, and I will what? Does God want us to walk around with burdens that are grievous to be born? No, he's asked us to cast them upon him. How do we do that? We do it in our prayer time. As we come to the Lord, we talk to the Lord about those burdens that we feel like we are carrying and we say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. You take it and God will take those burdens from us. He will lift those burdens that are grievous to be born so that we can find rest for our soul." Have you experienced this before? God wants you to experience it this next week. As you go throughout your week and you feel like you're being, uh, you know, uh, weighed down with the burdens of life, just stop and say, Lord, you said, cast my cares upon you. Please take this from me. I want to find rest instead of being burdened. Listen to this from the pen of inspiration, This Day with God, page 154. It says, Many are in too great a hurry to pray. Now, don't answer this, but do you have, common, do you have something in common there? Too, too busy to pray. We, we, we're too, we, we, we get up and we have this great hurry to get into our day. Many are in too great a hurry to pray. With hurried steps, they pass through the shadow of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps for a few moments within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for what? Counsel, she goes on, they have no time to sit down, no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they what? I don't like this because I see myself as I read this. This was actually a letter that was written to Etzin, James and Ellen White's son. Good advice from parents, wouldn't you say? Stop being so busy. Stop going through your day with hurried steps not pausing to take time together with your Savior. How many days have we started like this, hastily moving through that time together with God because we have this long list of things that need to be done? Listen, I've done it. I've done it more times than I'd like to admit, but we do it. And as we do it, what we're doing is we're starting our day burdened down, And is it any wonder that as we get through our day, we lose our patience, we get annoyed with other people, we get angry, we become discouraged, we become disheartened? Is it any wonder that our days go like this? When we're going, when we're starting our day carrying burdens instead of casting them upon his shoulder and starting our day, rest it, amen? Amen? That's how God wants us to start that day. He wants us to sit and get that divine counsel from him. He wants, to, wants us to take our burdens and to throw them upon him so that we can move through our day not wearied and heavy laden. I don't know. Sounds like something that's good to me. Let me give you an example of this. You're familiar with the story of David, man after God's own heart. And you are also familiar with David's great sin that he committed, committed adultery, and then he murdered a man to try to cover up that adultery. Can you imagine the guilt that was associated with that? Not only did he commit adultery, but then he murdered a man. Then he's trying to live this lie. And then on top of that, he's the anointed one of Israel, the leader of God's people. Can you imagine the type of guilt that was associated with With that sin. And then you know, Nathan the prophet, he comes in and he points out David's sin and he says, You are that man, you are the one who has committed this sin. And as David recognizes that his sin has been identified, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, the Bible says, And David said unto Nathan, I have what? He takes ownership. He is under this burden, this tremendous burden of the guilt of sin that's pressing down upon him. I have sinned. He didn't try to deny it. He didn't try to kill Nathan the prophet to do away with it. He owned it. Yes, I did something that I shouldn't have done. The first first thing that needs to happen to have our burdens removed is we need to first acknowledge that it's there. Are you all with me this morning? We need to first acknowledge that it's there, that we have that guilt of sin, that we have that inferiority complex, that we have that temper, whatever it is, that burden that we are carrying, we need to acknowledge that it's there and own it. And then say, Father, I want you to remove it, and I want to take you through this process. Notice what the Bible says in Psalms chapter 51. Go there with me if you would. You should already be there. Psalms chapter 51, of course, you know that Psalms 51 is David's prayer of forgiveness for this sin that Nathan the prophet pointed out. And so notice what he says in uh, verses one through four as he prays this prayer uh, to God because of this sin that he had committed. The Bible says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. What does he say? Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my, what, transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this great evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Can you see David's plea for forgiveness? Can you see how he's acknowledging all of these, this terrible thing that he has done? His transgression, his iniquity, his sin, that he had done this great evil in the sight of God. But here's the fascinating thing to me. Even though David did this terrible sin that was public to all of God's people, he did not allow that sin to keep him from praying Have you ever felt so sinful that you didn't think you deserved to go come to God in prayer If you have you shouldn't David did not allow that sin to keep him from this prayer this great prayer of confession that he is praying here in Psalms chapter 51. He bore his soul to God. He acknowledged that he was a sinner, that he was a transgressor, that he had done evil in the sight of God. He acknowledged that. It was a plea that he was making for forgiveness. But notice what he goes on to say in verse seven. He makes a plea for cleansing now. He goes on he says this, purge me with hyssop and I shall be what? Clean. Then he says, do what? Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation. That's that peace that God wants to give to us. Restore unto me the joy of salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. You know, it's fascinating to me. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is what had condemned him and convicted him of that sin. But he still refers to that convicting power of the Holy Spirit as a free spirit. Can you see David's plea for cleansing here? Clean, uh, Create me a clean heart, wash me, cleanse me. He's asking now, he's asking God. He's acknowledged his fault. Now he's saying, Lord, you change my heart. This is the casting of the burden upon the Lord. Now notice the result of all of this. In verse fourteen, David says this: "Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall what? Sing aloud of Thy righteousness." Verse fifteen: "O Lord, open Thou my lips, and my mouth shall that uh, uh, my mouth shall show forth Thy what? Praises." So you notice how David, he moves through this process in his prayer in Psalms chapter 51. It goes from a plea for forgiveness to also a plea for cleansing. And then as it ends, he's praising God. You can see almost the burden being lifted from David's shoulder. Now listen to me carefully. The consequence of that sin, he still had to deal with. He lost the respect of the people for the rest of his time as the king of Israel. He lost the respect of his children. He had one heartache and one trial after the other, but God forgave him of that sin. That burden was lifted. He had to struggle through the consequences, but that burden was lifted, that burden of guilt that was associated with the sin. One of the blessings that come from prayer is that our burdens can be lifted and we can move through our day at peace with our Savior. Amen? God does not want you to walk around as a burdened Christian. He wants you to take that time in the morning and give it to him. You know what? Some of us have been walking around as burdened Christians for so long that we don't even recognize that we have a burden on our backs. It's just become normal to us. And that's why we need to pause in that time together with the Lord and let the Lord remind us and show us, you know what? You're carrying something in your heart that you don't need to be carrying around anymore. If you'll give it to me, you'll feel a lot lighter. And the Lord will do that. The Lord will reveal those things to us that we need to make or surrender to him that we might be able to move and work and act more efficient for our loving Savior. Prayer is a blessing to us because it lifts our burdens. But prayer is also a a blessing to others in that, there we go, prayer works not just for us, but it works for other people. Have you ever heard of this thing called intercessory prayer? You've probably heard of that before. Do you know anybody in your life who is making really bad choices? Do you know anybody who is like on a collision course with destruction? And they're just doing one thing after another that's going to make their lives miserable? Do you know people like that? Are you praying for them? Intercessory prayer is a very powerful thing. Go with me in your Bibles to Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, now, as you are going there, you are familiar with the story of the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf. They had just left Egypt days before, hadn't been that long it was a miracle that they were released. God performed miracle after miracle. Ten plagues were poured out upon the Egyptians. God protected his people when those plagues were being poured out. <clears throat> it was a miracle that they were actually able to leave and make the trip to the Red Sea. It was a miracle when God opened up the Red Sea and made this dry path for them through the middle of it. And then as they get over to the other side of that, uh, that body of water, they look back and The enemy is coming, and God brings that water back and destroys their enemy. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle had been performed on behalf of God's people. And here they are. Moses is up in Mount Sinai, and they are down at the bottom of this mountain worshiping a golden calf. Can you believe that? You know, as I think about this, we... We have a little bit more in common with the children of Israel than we would like to admit sometimes. We're not much different. Sometimes God blesses us, and he blesses us, and he blesses us, and we're thankful for those blessings. We bathe in those blessings. We're grateful for those blessings. But then when those blessings aren't there, we can turn away and are easily led astray. Now listen to what the Bible says. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 10 the Bible says this God is talking to Moses and he says now therefore let me alone that I may that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation was God a little upset yes or no He wasn't very happy with what took place. He was ready to wipe them off the face of the earth and raise up another nation from Moses. He still would have fulfilled Abraham's promise because Moses obviously was the son of Abraham. But he wanted to destroy all those people and create a new group of people from Moses. God was not very happy with what the children of Israel did. Now you remember what Moses prayed in verse 31. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, o this, thy pe- o this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Verse 32, yet now if thou wilt forgive their what? <clears throat> and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Did the children of Israel give Moses a hard time? How many of you would pray that prayer about somebody who gave you a hard time? Don't answer that. (laughs) I know our human nature. I mean, just out of captivity, they're already complaining. Complaining about water, complaining about food, complaining, complaint, complaint, complaint. They made Moses' life tremendously difficult. Yet he prays this righteous prayer of intercession on their behalf. And he says, Lord, give them a second chance. And if you're not going to do that, blot my name out of the book. I don't know that I could pray a prayer like that. But I pray that God can change my heart to do that. Listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. It's one thing to intercede for somebody that you love. It's another thing to intercede for somebody who makes your life miserable. But God is calling us to both. You see, sometimes our prayer life becomes so absorbed with ourself. We talked about this in our last study together, where our prayer life, it becomes very narcissistic and self-centered. Help me with this, help me with that, help me here, help me there, give me this, give me that, and it's, it, it becomes very self-centered. But God is asking us to take a step back. There's nothing wrong for you to pray that God will help you with various things in your life. God wants you to do that. But God also wants you to include in that prayer time intercessory prayer on the behalf of other people. In fact, Jesus gave us that example. He did that himself. He interceded for his disciples on many occasions. Listen to this statement from Medical Mystery, Ministry, page 244. It says, let the worker, workers grasp the promises of God, saying, thou hast promised, ask and you shall receive. Now, listen to this carefully. Usually when we talk about this promise, it is in the context of us getting something. But listen to how she uses it. Ask and you shall receive. I must have this soul converted to Jesus. What is, he, what is she asking for? For a soul's conversion. She goes on and she says this. <clears throat> Select another and still another soul, daily seeking guidance from God, laying everything before him in earnest prayer and working in divine wisdom. As you do this you will see that God will give the Holy Spirit to convict and the power of the truth to convert the soul. I like how she says, pray for another and another and another. Don't stop. Continue to bring those people to God in prayer. I remember... In, uh, in my previous district, we were praying for a lady. There was a lady who is an inactive member, and there were a certain segment of the church that wanted to have her disfellowship. And if not against church discipline, I think it needs to be done at certain times when it's properly administered. But we wanted to visit and appeal to this lady. And we went to her home, and we visited her, and we visited her, and we prayed for her, and we prayed for her. We prayed for her every day, and we visited with her. And as we prayed and visited, the Lord worked on her heart until she started coming back to church. Powerful, powerful stuff. Pray for another, and yet another, and another. Ask, and you shall receive. What would happen if you went back and looked at your church directory and said, well, I haven't seen that person in a long time. I haven't seen that person in a long time. I haven't seen that one in a long time either. And you started praying for those people. When was the last time you prayed for those inactive members that we haven't seen in our church in a long time? think we're encouraged that we ought to be praying for these people. and Maybe the reason why they're not here is because we're not praying for them. Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you. What was the result of Jesus' prayer for Peter? Did it result in anything good? Do you think, Jesus just prayed for Peter once? Jesus was accustomed to praying many, many times. He prayed, I mean, prayer was an important part of his life. We know that. But if that were the case and Jesus knew that on the 12 disciples was going to rest the New Testament church, that Christianity and the good news of the Messiah was resting upon these 12 men, how often do you think he prayed for them by name? He interceded for them because he knew that when he left, they were going to be left with a tremendous responsibility to take the gospel to the far-flung parts of the world. And he actually told Peter, I have prayed for you. The result of that prayer is seen very vividly in the book of Acts. You've seen it before. As you look at that uh, experience, you are seeing an answer to Jesus' intercessory prayer on behalf of his disciples. I read a book recently about a young lady by the name of Gladys Aylward. Any of you ever heard of her? Great missionary to China. In her early teens, she went to a religious meeting where she gave her heart to the Lord. And shortly after she had this experience with Jesus, she found a brochure that spoke about the people of China and she was amazed that there were millions of people in China who had never even heard the name of Jesus she was moved by this she thought how could this be there we need people to go there and so she tried to get her brother to go he said why would i go you go She tried to get other people to go. When I go, you go. And so she said, nobody else is going to go. I need to go. And so she went to the China Inland Mission, and she went through one year of training to be a missionary in China. And at the end of the year, the committee met and rejected her application because she didn't learn the Chinese language well. She was discouraged by that. But when she was reading her Bible, she was compelled by the Old Testament stories of Abraham who just went when God called him. He didn't need any other, anybody else's confirmation. He just went because God called him. And she knew that God was resting this upon her heart. And she said, if they won't take me, I'm going to go anyways on my own. And so she went to work, and she started saving her money, scraping together all of her pennies, all of the money that she could, and saving everything she could so that she could make this trip to China. She started asking questions. How much does it cost to go to China? People said, you're crazy. You don't need to go to China. This was right before World War II. Finally, she found out that it would cost 42 pounds, the cheapest way to get there, 42 pounds by railway from England to China. Any takers? took her 23 days to do it. She almost died in the process. She went through Russia. They were in the middle of a war. She almost got abducted kidnapped, finally got on a boat, went through Japan, from from Japan, she was able to come into China. Just a harrowing experience. But here's what really spoke to my heart. As I was reading the book, right at the very beginning of her journey, as she got on the train at Liverpool, she noticed a lady and her husband get on the train. She saw them, and then they disappeared into the crowd. A couple of stops later, she saw them come back onto the train again after they had had a short little break. They came back on the train again, and they sat on the seat right across from her. She started to have a little chit-chat conversation with them and found out that they were Christians who had just attended a religious convention in England and were going back to the Netherlands, where they were from. They asked her, where are you going? She said, I'm going to China. She was just a little thing. Wasn't very tall, wasn't very big, didn't have much to her. And the lady said, oh, I know why you're going to China. You've got a man over there that you're going to marry and, and uh, have a family. She said, nope, I'm going over there as a missionary. And they were just amazed. This is, this is amazing. So the, for the rest of the train ride, they, had the, they were just conversing with one another and talking about God and, and the work that God has for us to do. And just before the lady and her husband got off the train, This is what the lady told Gladys. She said, my dear, I'm going to make a pact with you. For as long as I live every night at 9 o'clock, I am going to pray for you. I want you to write your name in my Bible. And if we never meet again on earth, someday we will meet above. Perfect stranger for the most part. They'd only known each other for a couple of hours. Yet this lady made the commitment to pray for this young girl every single night at 9 o'clock. Gladys went on to win hundreds, if not thousands of people in China. She never got married. She never had a family. She gave up her, her family back in England. She became basically became Chinese. She thought like a Chinese person. She ate like a Chinese person. She dressed like a Chinese person. She did everything like Chinese people did. And she won hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus. And I believe that was much because of this lady's prayers that she was praying on behalf of Gladys. Intercessory prayer, powerful stuff. And listen, if you cannot financially support a missionary, find a missionary and start praying for that person. If you can't uh, you know, go to some far-flung part of the world to actually be a, uh, you know, a help over there, find somebody who's over there working and start praying for them. God will use those prayers of intercession on their behalf. He will impress you at the very moment that you need to pray for a family member, for a friend, for somebody else in some other part of the world that's working for the Lord. Intercede for God's people so that the work of God can continue to move forward in a powerful fashion. Let prayer be a blessing, not just to you, but to other people as well. Again, Jesus tells us, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jesus says, call unto me. I will remove those burdens that you're carrying around. Jesus says, call unto me. I will answer those prayers of intercession on behalf of other people and I will do great and mighty things that you know nothing of. I look forward to getting to the kingdom of heaven and finding out how that lady's prayers were answered. Don't you? I look forward to getting to the kingdom of heaven and seeing how the prayers I've been praying are answered. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Find someone or some buddies, more than one. Find people that need to be prayed for, people that aren't praying for themselves and start praying for them and never stop until you see God move in their life or until you breathe your last breath. That's the type of spiritual tenacity that God is looking for in his people that will lay hold on that promise, ask and you shall receive. God, I'm asking that you work in that person's life and hold on to that promise until God is able to move that person's heart and bring them to Jesus. How many of you want this experience? Lord, help me. Give me this experience. Lift the burdens off of my back so that I can more effectively move through my day for you. And Lord, use my prayer life to not only be a blessing to me, but to be a blessing to others as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful for the gift of communication that you have given to us, we thank you, Lord, that we can talk to the Creator of the universe, and that his ear bends low to the earth to hear the cries of his children. Now, Father, as we continue to seek to remove self out of our prayer life and replace it with the prayers of Jesus, give us wisdom. Help us to pray like Jesus prayed. Lord, we pray that you would remove any burdens that we may be carrying around this next week. Show them to us, Lord, because maybe they've been there so long that we have forgotten about them. And Father, I pray that it would be a sweet experience to cast that burden upon you and to move with greater freedom throughout our week. And Father, I pray that you would bring to our mind somebody that we need to be praying for. Maybe it's more than one person. And Father, may we lay hold upon that and pray for that individual until we see the Spirit of God move in their lives or until we breathe our last breath. May we not let go, Lord, but continually press that person to the throne room of grace, asking that you would work in their lives. Father, I pray that you would bless our church as we seek to become stronger through prayer. Guide us, I pray. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.